Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss. I'm joined as ever by uh, Jonathan Fadugba. And here we are ready for, um, well, the latest edition of the season is coming towards a climax now in both Norway and Sweden, Sweden in particular. Um, so how are you doing, my friend? Uh, exciting times. Exciting times, Steve. Hello to everyone. And yeah, we are in the final straight now in Sweden, particularly. Uh, four or five games to go on the night of recording. And the home straight is in sight. We've got a tasty title race ahead of us. I'm very excited by it, and I'm wondering who is going to take the gold. Yeah, well, we are going to start in Sweden because um, there's only four games left, four rounds left. Uh, we are, at the time of recording, in the middle of a match day, though, where, uh, uh, as I said, at the time of recording, Malmo are top on goal difference, but Jörgarten have a game in hand, which is coming on Monday night away against uh, Ostersunds. Uh, more on that in a moment, but... Uh, Yes, I mean, Malmo are on 56 points, uh, Jorgan 56 with a game in hand, AIK 53, Hammerby 50 with a game in hand. So the gold medal is going to be given to one of those four teams. And uh, you mentioned in previous episodes how you were always going to back Malmo pretty much right from the start of the season, uh, well, from the earlier rounds anyway. And they've not really disappointed you, have they, in recent times? They keep going on a really long uh, winning run here um, and putting a lot of pressure on the Stockholm teams, John. That's correct, Steve. They are on a very, very good run, to be fair to them. Five wins in a row. Uh, the last defeat was against Jurgarden in back in August now. Um, if it hadn't been for that game, then they would have the title race firmly in their hands, you'd imagine. But um, they did not manage to win that one. Uh, but every other game since 6th of April, they have either won or drawn. That is how good they've been in the last few months, but Jürgen are just about holding them off. I'd fully expect Jürgen to uh, get the win at Ostersunds, you'd, you'd think, to set up a three-point gap if they can, or you know, even if they get a point, there'd be one point ahead with, with four games remaining. So we really are entering crunch time at the moment. And uh, mm. yes, Malmo showing no signs of slowing down with their re recent form. Yeah, the destiny is very much in the hands of uh, Jürgen. Um, 13 points that will be uh, enough for them to secure the title. They've got five games left to do it, so four wins and a draw will do the job for them. Um, and uh, I think it's time. We are going to have a significant chunk of this podcast uh, dedicated towards a team in focus uh, of your garden because uh, I think it's fair to say start of the season, expectations were, were not low, but they weren't that high either. Uh, I can't remember your exact prediction for them in the table, John. I think it was about fourth or fifth. Um, but for them to be in this position, uh, just five games to go, gold medal in their hands, I think it's time we talked a little bit more about how they've got in this position, what's worked for them, what hasn't. And uh, in-depth uh, focus, we used to do this um, with some episodes in the past. But, uh, I mean, your garden, first of all, pre-season, your general thoughts were... More on the positive side, actually, but I know you were concerned about their attack force in particular. Yeah, I, I can't recall um, my exact comments on them in, in pre-season. I did. You're right. I did have them lower down the table. I think it was uh, between fourth and fifth. Uh, I think I had Hammerby above them, in fact. So I think they were fifth. I predicted. You know, and the team that had ahead of them obviously were AIK. Uh, I think Hacken as well, and um, and North Shopping. 
I've improved wrong in that sense, and all credit has to go to their new joint managers, uh, Kim Bergstrand and Thomas Lagerloff. You know, as a, as you've said there rightly, we haven't really talked too much about Eurogarden this season, and it's time for a deep dive. We used to do these teams in focus uh, a few seasons ago on uh, on the podcast, and uh, I very much enjoyed them. And this week, we are going to delve into Eurogarden. Now, the first thing to note, of course, is this is a major push for the title race. They have four games left if they can beat Ostersund's five games, obviously, uh, if you include that game. And it is a golden opportunity to win their first league title in 14 years. That's the last time Eurogarden were champions of Sweden. Uh, a long time for such a, a big club. You know, those who, who might not know about them, they're, they're one of Stockholm's biggest clubs. Uh, they have the famous uh, Twilling Derby with the uh, AIK, they're two derby rivals um, in Stockholm, obviously, AIK and Hammerby, but uh, a major rival of theirs is AIK, uh, who we'll talk about shortly in terms of the results this season, which are, are ironic. But um, yeah, you know, the way Eurogarden have played the season under the joint managers Bergstrand and Lagerloff has been really, really impressive. Uh, and I think that's the first place to really discuss really those two managers. Yeah, it's not something that usually works anywhere, is it? But um, how have they actually managed to achieve it, do you think? I mean, is it just these guys are suited to the role like that? Um, or I know they've had a little bit of experience before, which uh, I think you uh, might want to sort of talk about more in detail now. But it just seems with these two guys, it works uh, even at such a big club. Yeah, of course. And there's been previous discussions. I think we've talked about it before, in fact, on, a, on a one show. Uh, you know, can it work, the joint partnership, uh, you know, the joint managers? And in many cases, uh, some of you might remember Gerard Houllier and Roy Evans back in the day at Liverpool. And in, in a lot of cases, it, does, it just doesn't work, does it? But in this case, it has worked like a treat. And you have to give praise to Kim Bergstrand, who, um, it must be said, he's been a fan, he's had a fantastic managerial career to date, really. Um, you know, he began his career. I mean, his, his big his big break in terms of major clubs was uh, at Bromwich Poikina. He was there for sort of four, uh, five, six years. Um, and he, you know, after his playing career, he played for. Funnily enough, he played for AIK and Hammerby. So uh, not exactly Eurogarden's friends there, but um, he had a, a decent playing career. And then his coaching career led him to Bromwich Poikina, where he was there for seven years um, before moving to IK Sirius. Now you might remember Steve that. That first season when Sirius were promoted was uh, a special season for us because that was one of the first uh, years of our podcast. And um, Sirius were newly promoted at that time, but they did fantastically well, uh, finishing seventh. And I, I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but they were second in the league after a handful of games. And, uh, and for a long time in the season, the newly promoted boys were sort of second and third. And, and uh, do you remember that? We kept talking about them and how well they were doing. Yeah, I remember actually. Um, it's very interesting that they seem to be uh, overachieving in that regard there. But uh, what about tactics then? Have they, have they employed the same system at Jorgarten as they did at Sirius, or have they changed their approach? Well, this is the thing. I mean, um, you know, Bergstrand, that was the end of his time there, really, because he, uh, the following season, they didn't do as well. Uh, last season, you know, had a bit of a dip. Um, they finished seventh in his first season there, and then at the end of last season, that was enough for him. And his six-year time at Sirius came to an end. And it was Eurogarden who uh, swooped in to take him as their manager. And look at the results; they've been—it's been a fantastic achievement. 
um, you know, and a fantastic signing from their from their the club. He's transformed the team. I mean, I think this is one of those situations where the stars have kind of aligned a little bit as well, in in a sense. Um, what I mean by that is this is not only two very good experienced sort of coaches, you know, joint managers who've come in, uh, Thomas Lagerloff as well, but also they've got things generally right in their recruitment, I think, over the last few years. And I think the combination of the two has led to this um, pr- pretty unlikely title challenge, to be honest. You know, it wasn't really expected. I think they were tipped in the main between sort of fourth, you know, maybe third, but um, no real hints that they'd be champions, to be honest. Most people picked Malmo. And obviously Malmo could still win it, but, you know, the, let's focus on your garden for this episode. Uh, and But if you really look at it, everything they've done so far has been has been has been really solid they've built a really cohesive unit a really they're very well coached your garden um you know if you look at their statistics for example they they they're the best team in the league for ball possession um best team in the league for passes into the final third they've got the joint fewest goals conceded uh second most touches in the box behind malmo uh, they're really doing well in terms of expected goals and pretty much you know in every area in every metric they are looking very, very solid and um, they're going to be very hard to stop, I think, in their last four games, but they do have challenges to come. Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, league table now and the statistic that stands out to me is they've only conceded 14 goals. Malmo have also only conceded that amount, but um, it surely must be a case of their big, big strength is keeping clean sheets, is keeping it tight and... Who would you say the key players have been in terms of the defensive solidity? Well, if we look at uh, Kim Bergstrand in general, he's a um, he's a Guardiola uh, ite. Um, he, he's talked before about Pep Guardiola and you know his inspiration. Uh, he was a striker in his day himself, Bergstrand, uh, and as I mentioned, he, he played for AIK Hammerby. And he's said before he'd rather win a game four three than win a game one nil. So it is a little bit unusual, maybe, that he's um, built a team that's so solid defensively. But, uh, you know, obviously, they're very good at coaching that defensive unit. Uh, He was good at Sirius in that regard as well. But they do have that enterprising element to them, and he does want to play attacking football. I mean, obviously, Jürgen finished seventh last season. They were 19 points behind AIK. Um, But there's been some changes to the team and and some players who've come in. And I think Bossa Anderson, their sporting director, maybe deserves some credit in that sense. Um, when you look at their defensive lineup, and, and I, you know, if we talk about their formation, formation um, just briefly, they 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 are very fluid. They can play a four four two, a four four one one, a four three three, or a three four three. Bergstrand has said he likes his teams to be tactically fluid and 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 able to change. They have players who can interchange positions very well. Um, and if you look at the back four in itself, I mean, the first choice probably back four would be at Slack Vitry uh, at right back. Uh, who was previously at Ranheim, so Norwegian fans may remember him. Uh, he's a Norwegian under-18 international at one point as well. Um, he's been really, really good at right-back. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, Marcus Danielson, who has been arguably the best player in Allsvenskan this season, um, certainly one of the top five. Uh, as centre-back, the former Giftsons foul man. Uh, Jacob Una Larsen, who's his centre-back partner in most times. And at left-back, Elliot Shesh, uh, who is... Um, I think he had a spell as well in Norway, but I'm not entirely sure. But he's there at left back. And, you know, we've got a Scout blog coming out about this team. So tune out, tune in for it. Obviously, we have a partnership with Scout. Um, and in that blog, I liken, I liken Witchery and, and Shek to um, 
Alexander Arnold and Andrew Robertson um, in the way they've had an influence. Um, in their fullbacks are heavily, heavily involved. You know, as I mentioned to you, the team has played more passes into the final third. They've also had the most crosses in the league, uh, more than any other team in terms of whipping crosses into the box. And uh, Witchery and Sheck have been very, very in influential in that area. You know, each of them has weighed in with a number of assists um, from those fullback positions, uh, similar to the Liverpool duo. And it's just really, you know, they, they although they're solid defensively, they, they also have an attacking element to them. Yes, you're right. Um, Elliot uh, Shek, is that how you pronounce it? I always used to call him Kak last year because <laughs> that's pretty much how he played for start. He was terrible there. Um, and to be honest with you, Wittry, although he did catch the eye at Runheim, you know, as a player with some potential, I certainly never had him down as uh, a starting defender uh, for, um, you know, an Al a top Alsvenskan side challenging for the title. So those two um, fullbacks, to me, that suggests that they have been very well coached at York Garden because his, in the past they were never as good as they are now. So you've got to give kudos to the two managers there, I think, and the coaching team um, at Diff. So, yeah, just looking again at some stats, and away from home, they've been brilliant. Uh, if they do beat um, Ossersons on Monday night, that'll be 29 points on the road for them, which would be five points more than any other side. So obviously they are well geared up um, on the road. Uh, they've got good home statistics as well. But is there any particular reason you think that they're comfortable on the travels this year? Most definitely. I think they, they are set up very well to play a counter-attacking style. Um, as I mentioned, they, you know, predominantly a possession-based team, really. They haven't have had the most possession in Osvenskan. But uh, they do offer also that uh, counter-attacking flair. I think the way they set their game up, uh, you mentioned there, I mean, Shek, he was really good in his previous spell in Sweden before he moved to Norway. And I remember talking to you about him last season and obviously he didn't do too well and came quickly back with his tail between his legs. But he's been very good. Five assists. Um, he's in the top 15 players in the league for uh, accurate crosses percentage, um, according to Westcap data. Uh, Witchery, his fellow man, has also been very, very good uh, in terms of assists. Um, and he's also weighed in with um, some goals. I think fantasy fantasy league players in the early in the season they were desperate to have him in their team. He's he's um, done done extremely well in that sense. But yeah, they, they, if you look at their lineup, it's generally a four four two and or four four one one as I mentioned. And they're two centre midfielders, uh, Frederick Ulverstad, who used to be at Burnley at one stage of his career, uh, and uh, Jesper Karlström. They generally sit in front of the defensive um, you know the defensive line and just offer that solidity. And, you know, they can play a sort of a deeper formation, you know, a lower block, and then defend and counter, basically, when it, when they need to. Um, the perfect example of this was, uh, for anyone who saw the game in August between Malmo and, and Eurogarden, which was a, a really key game, and it could end up deciding the title race. Eurogarden won that game off the back of a counter-attacking goal from Mohamed Bouyatore, who, we'll, who we'll, we'll talk about shortly. Um, and it was, you know, one pass from Jonathan Ring, who's been one of the best players in, in the league this season. Uh, 1.04 key passes per 90. He's been fantastic. Um, five assists and seven goals, by the way, for him. It was one pass from him into the into the flanks, you know, in a quick counter-attack. Um, then a, a cross into the box, caught Mamo off guard and Bouyatore first-time finish sending the uh, Garden fans absolutely crazy, by the way, in the, in the stands, great celebrations. And um, yeah, that, that was a, an example of their ability away from home to kind of sit deep and counter. Um, they're not generally that way inclined. I mean, they can take the game to their opponents away, 
Uh, a recent example of that was when they beat Gif Sundsvall uh, 4-1 in a, in, a, in a recent game. Um, so they do have that ability to control possession and control the game away from home when it when it demands it. So, you know, I think what Kim Bergstrand and, and Lagerlof have, have done very well with this team is they've they've got the balance right in all games. You know, in all Svenskan, you don't have to always be the you know the best team to be honest. You don't you don't need kind of incredible players. It's very tight at the top in terms of the squads and and their general capabilities. But I think in those key key games. You just need that ability to do something out of the ordinary, whether it's a set piece or whether it's a you know a counter attack or just getting that one nil win. Um, and they seem to have done it. I mentioned before, funnily enough, Steve, the only uh, three games they've lost this season. Can you name me the two teams they've lost to this season in their only three defeats? Well, I know they've lost to AIK, um, so maybe even lost twice to them. I think. Um, and guess the other one. You're correct. Oh God, I don't know. It was early doors. I know that. Uh, no, I'll say no shipping. I don't know. The only teams that have beaten them in all season are Hammerby and AIK. And uh, <laughs> that's something you've got to watch out for, Steve, because the gift, the old curse, the Derby curse of Uruguay, and of course there's this <laughs> uh, famous statistic that they haven't beaten AIK in the league since 2011. Uh, and they've got that Derby curse, which has always haunted them. They still haven't been able to shrug that yet. Even though they've been so good, AIK have still done the double on them. And... Um, one of their last five games is Hammerby at home, so really, I mean, that is the big test of it of the of the curse. Can they can they beat Hammerby, and maybe we might set them up for a title win. Well, don't they call it the ghost or something of the Dar or something like yeah, that? They do. Um, I mean, what, what tends to happen for those who might not be aware, fans uh, fans of the other Stockholm teams take they dress up as ghosts. They turn up to the stadium with ghost flags, ghost banners. Um, they really do rub it in uh, in your garden's face, to be honest, at times. Um, but one thing to note, obviously, they did lift the curse. It had gone on since, I think, for a good a bit a while longer than that anyway. I mean, this is a league record now, but they did lift it in the uh, Swedish Cup last season to win the Cup. But um, they've not been able to beat AK in the league for, as I mentioned, eight years. Mm, it's uh, certainly not Casper the Friendly Ghost, is it, for them? <laughs> um, I'll say that much. But um, let's move on to some of the more attack-minded players. And we mentioned Mohamed Buyatore. Um, but he scored 11 goals for them in the league, waiting with a few assists as well. Jonathan Ring, seven goals, five assists. And uh, a new signing, which uh, you talked about this a few weeks ago, that Emi Akuzovic may be the difference between winning the title and not. He's come in and scored uh, and already made a big impact in just five five appearances. So, I mean, those players um, going forward are obviously very important for them. Most definitely, Steve. Uh, and yeah, I think Kujovic just adds that little bit of extra firepower that they needed. I mean, Buyatore, we've talked about him a lot in the past. Um, him and his antics, you know, he's, he, there's a fantastic player in there, but he does tend to be a little bit, you know, m m wild in the head at times. Um, a good example of this was against Helsingborg. And that just shows you why Kujovic is so necessary. Um, a few weeks back, they played Helsingborg at home. It was one of uh, Kujovic's first games since joining in the summer. He scored two goals to win the match. But uh, in that game, what actually happened was uh, Buyatore elbowed a player in the face and uh, picked up a yellow card. He was very, very lucky not to be sent off. And uh, funnily enough, Thomas Lagerlof came out afterwards and slammed Buyatore saying, you know, he could, uh, in fact, the exact quote was, he could have put this whole title race in, in the shit. Um, so he wasn't mincing his word. He was really annoyed. Uh, and basically said that, you know, Buyatori could have cost the whole title if he'd been sent off. Um, so Kujovic, having, just having him as a bit of backup maybe is, is it was a very good signing, I think, and, and needed. 
Um, so Buatori was suspended for the next game against Gisfunslau and, and Kujovic came in, scored a goal uh, and just generally played well. I think he, he will be important. Uh, and yeah, the, the two of them have done well. Uh, we mentioned Jonathan Ring as well. As I said, he's he's had a fantastic season and he's probably been one of the top top five or six players, maybe top 10 players in the league, um, given his just all-round creativity. Um, really, really improved himself there. Um, so yeah, I mean, the thing with Bouya Toure, of course, is he's he's um, only on loan from a, a Belgian club, St. Troyden. So he may well leave at the end of the season. And there's been kind of Rumours that maybe Jurgarden don't really want to necessarily pay the money to keep him. So having Kujovic in there as well is important. But Buya Torre's counter-attacking ability, his pace on the break. I mean, the winner he scored against Falkenberg was fantastic. He, he has the ability to, on counter-attacks, just beat two or three men and run like half the length of the pitch, which he did against Falkenberg. If you if you get a chance to see that goal, it's worth watching um, because it was a really, really good goal. Um, and, the you know, they've just... The other thing is they've got goals coming from all over the team as well, Steve. They, you know, Harris Redisnak has scored, um, as we mentioned, Witchery and um, and Anishek have also weighed in with goals. Um, Jesper Karlström's weighed in with a few. And I think a really key player that we haven't discussed and a really, really important boon in their title race was uh, the old Englishman, Curtis Edwards. An interesting statistic for you. You talked about Marcus Danielson earlier. The t uh, they average 2.5 points per game when he's in the side. He's only missed three matches, but uh, in those particular games, they lost uh, twice and drew one. So he's obviously, I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it, to, to average so many points per game um, when you're involved like that. But um, and let's just, I want to talk about the club itself, uh, Jorgan, because there's a big rivalry in Stockholm, Jorgan, Hammerby. AIK and um, I mean I know from my when I first used to do Swedish football certainly between Jorgart and Hammerby it's a, a social class rivalry sort of thing going there but um, who would you say is I mean this is a bit of a silly question in a way but I'm going to ask it anyway I mean who do you think is the biggest of the three clubs and um, in terms of the actual rivalries there for Jorgart would they rather beat Hammerby or AIK? Would your garden rather beat Hammerby or AIK? Mm, if they had to, yeah. Oof, well, I mean, your first question is is, is a very tough one. Uh, who's the biggest of the three clubs? They always have that kind of beef between them of, of like who is the best. Um, there's always that kind of discussion between the Stockholm clubs. I mean, Hammerby in terms of attendance uh, tend to tend to dominate, and they they do enjoy rubbing it in the face in terms of attendances. They they do tend to get maybe maybe better crowds. AIK as well. I mean, the derby between AIK and Eurogarden uh, some weeks ago was what it said a record. In fact, for attendance, it was somewhere in the forty thousands, which is, you know, it, this is like we shouldn't underestimate. I mean, I know Nordic football at times gets a, a bit of a bad rep, but this is this is these you know these are massive games wherever you are in Europe. Uh, if you ever get the chance to go to a, a Stockholm derby. You really must take up the opportunity. I mean, the, the TFOs, the, the banners. I know this has been a major talking point in, in in Sweden this season. The police and the heavy clampdowns and all these kind of things. You know, the, the flares and stuff. But it really adds flavour and colour to the to the league. And when you are at one of those derbies, it, it really is. You know, you've got forty five thousand fans there. It's it's difficult to rival it in in any European league. To be honest, it's very very intense battles, uh, and they really have real animosity. And it really means a lot to the fans. <clears throat> if we look at uh, you know title races, I mean titles, one sort of thing. Uh, 
Hammerby have only ever won the league once. So you can't really, um, you know, have them at the top really there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard to say. Um, AIK obviously won the title the most times. Uh, I mean, in terms of overall trophies, sorry, um, including runners-up and that kind of thing. But Yeogarden have won the title seven times in their history, so one more than AIK. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, what sort of? Um, I find it hard to really say who the biggest club is. What sort of uh, club um, are Yeogarden then? In terms of uh, who would enjoy supporting them? If you were a neutral right now listening and you had to pick between one of the three Stockholm clubs to support, what would be the really attractive features of uh, of Yeogarden? Do you think? Um, the attractive features are they are they've got a great fan culture. I think they are very well supported in terms of you know in Stockholm they are one of the biggest teams. They are one of the most popular teams. Uh, obviously, at present they kind of um, they share their Tele2 arena um, between them and Hammarby, so they they both have the same stadium in that sense. Uh, and that's where the comparison comes in terms of attendances. They tend to try, kind of have a bit of a, a beef in that sense. Obviously, AIK have the Friends Arena, which is fifty four thousand stadium. In, in Solna, so you know they're slightly maybe out of town. Um, I think it's a difficult one to really answer. I mean, I think I've never lived, in, I've never really been based in Stockholm, so I, I wouldn't be the one to talk about the fan culture. Maybe in in from experience, um, Gothenburg is more my territory in terms of knowing exactly the ins and outs of of the fan culture. I won't lie, um, but from the outside looking in, I think Jurgen. There's no doubt they're very well supported. Mm. Um, yeah. I think Hammerby get the best attendances on average in general, but uh, AIK as well are, 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 like I say, they have the biggest stadium. So, you know, you also got to throw Malmo into the mix there in terms of biggest clubs in in Sweden and the EF Core. Obviously, those two have had more titles than any of the Stockholm teams. And I think that's something that both of them want to maybe look at and try and improve. Um, you know, all of them really want to try and improve that because, you know, it's the big city of, of the country. Yeah. Isn't it? But, uh, I mean, interestingly, between... Your uh, Garden and obviously yeah, okay, they were formed roughly in the same time, so that's where the whole twin derby comes from. You know, they 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 were considered, um, you know, as I say, city twins, and they've got very similar backgrounds. Uh, Hammerby are a little bit more maybe the noob kids on the block in in that sense, but uh, all three of them really generally are, are highly well supported, and and it's just slightly different. Um, as you mentioned, culturally they are slightly different. Yeah, so it, I tell you what, it always reminds me a little bit of um, the uh, Istanbul clubs, uh, Galatasaray, Besiktas, Fenerbahce, three, three, really three big clubs in the city. And, um, you know, in terms of Stockholm, it's really, sometimes there's not a lot to choose between either of them. And that is certainly the case this year. But uh, going back to this uh, title race, if they're going to get over the line, they're going to not just need, you know, technical abilities on the field they're going to need the mental strength they're going to need big players to stand up and you said the best player in the Alsvenskan this year has been Marcus Danielson in your opinion I talked about his statistics there what is it about him that makes him so good at the moment well he, he I mean he's been a, a fantastic player to the point where uh, people were kind of there was actually a bit of outrage really when he didn't get into the uh, Sweden squad for the most recent um, international games, and obviously there's not too many Svenskan players, if any, in the, in the in the national team. They usually have left long long ago before then. I mean, 
he's not only just attracted uh, the attention of fan, you know, fans and also, you know, people in Sweden. I mean, uh, Victor Lindelof, the Manchester United centre back, has said that he wishes that Jurgen will win a title um, simply because he used to play with Dirk Danielson together. Um, the two defenders used to play with each other at uh, Vasteras in the third division um, some years ago. Uh, Lindelof started his, well, his early days were there in Sweden anyway, before moving to Benfica and then Manchester United. But um, Danielson's just been a very, very, very good signing. I think you've got to look at it and say, when he, when he was at Gisfunsfall in his final season there, a couple of years back, he was he was good. But I don't think it was really expected how 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 well he's done. He's really embraced the club, Jurgen. He's become captain. Um, I think his height plays a massive part because they they don't have the biggest uh, defense, to be honest. You know, Sheck, uh, Witchery, they're all quite impish lads. They're quite small. Even Una Larsen is only five foot eleven. So you know they aren't the biggest team. But I think what they offer with Danielson, he's you know six foot four, towering centre back. He's, he's extremely good in the air from counter-attack situations, is also good going forward. You know, in both boxes, he can he can defend or attack. Uh, aerial duels-wise, he, he's one of the top players. Um, I think his leadership qualities as well has been outstanding. He's recently renewed his contract, um, you know, and as I say, he's become sort of the captain figure, the leader figure. He said as well, he, he doesn't see himself leaving. He's not keen to leave unless um, a big team comes in for him. Um, he's become sort of a fan's favourite. He's just, you know... I think he's been one of the most impressive players in the league. And even, as I say, Bergstrand has said he's one of the top players, along with, you know, Murma Tankovic at Hammerby is obviously the one you can't ignore. Um, but I think defensively, I think last season, uh, Hammerby had a player who went to the Bundesliga 2, who I who I really rated in, in defence, Bjorn Paulsen. And I think this season, Danielson's probably been that star star man across the divisions, really, in terms of um, in terms of what he's done from a defensive point of view. Okay, so it's getting to really crunch time now. If we give Jurgarten the win on Monday night away at Ostersunds, and let's say we give Hammerby their their win as well, home against Urubru, so that would make it fifty nine for uh, Jurgarten, fifty six for Malmo, fifty three Hammerby, and AK fifty three as well. So, but there are some crunch games left. Uh, Hammerby against the Jurgarten at the weekend. Uh, Hammerby also still have to play. Malmo and Malmo have to play AIK. So, I mean, where's your money then, uh, John, for this title? Who's going to secure the gold medal, do you think? Well, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because if you, if you look at the the league table, it's very, very tight, as you've just mentioned there. Um, I mean, if, you, if you're pushing me and, you know, I don't want to disappoint your fans at the end of this long uh, team in focus about them, but I think they have got a lot to do still. You know, let's not forget that they've not won the league before. They don't have that experience. They've not done it for, you know, like I say, 14 years. They don't have that experience. Um, Malmo do have that experience. AIK won it last season, although AIK have had a few disappointing uh, results of late. Uh, I think the uh, loss to Hammerby and the draw at Elsborg this weekend was a, a really surprising um, few, you know, drops of points there at Elsborg for sure. Malmo for me, just they're just not going away. I mean, there's been a bit of mind games in the recent times with uh, between Juve Rosler, the Malmo manager, and uh, and Jurgen. And he's complained. He's done a bit of a what I think Jose Mourinho and Ferguson what used to do very well. Complained about the fixture list. He said that why are Malmo playing uh, seven games in, in, in such a short period of time? Seven games in 21 days, I think it is. 
um, and he's complained about the fact that your garden have got more rest, for example, playing tomorrow uh, on the Monday night, sorry, um, compared to your Malmo playing a day earlier. Uh, he's had a few complaints about that and that's kicked off a little bit of a beef. Um, the thing with Malmo is just, if you look at the overriding metrics in terms of expected goals and, and that kind of thing, they do, they do look good. You know, they do have the best, uh, highest expected goals of the league. And they do have the best expected goals against, I believe, in the league as well. So from that point of view, just purely from mathematics, you'd say that they'd be the favourite. And they're just not going away. I, I said in pre-season that I thought um, I thought Malmo would not win the league. I went for Noor Shopping as the outsider. My feeling was there would be an outsider, but I, got, I didn't get it wrong with Noor Shopping. But um, the reason that I felt that with Malmo is just that they, I just find them a little bit stale at times. And I think... That Eurogarden game showed it. They, they probably should have won. They had a much higher expected goals, missed a penalty. But I just feel they're a little bit functional at times and don't get the job done when needed. But they just won't go away. And I think I think Eurogarden are going to need to win at least four of those last five games to win the title. And if you look at their running, they've got Hammerby, they've got Noor Shopping away, they've got EFK Jotterborg, uh, they've got Orebro and Osterson. So, the, you know, those are not easy games. So it's all to play for. It's going to be a cracking into the season. And to be honest, I really can't wait. But there's one thing for sure about Eurogarden and, and Kim Bergstrand and Thomas Lagerloff. They won't give up and their team will remain solid, enterprising, full of possession and exciting on the break. Yeah, it really does look a close finish. And, um, you know, if a couple of results go the way of some of the ch contenders as well, then we really could get a tight finish. But, um, yeah, I've got to say, Malmo have looked very good recently. But I think their fixture list is quite tough. Um IFK, Yotaborg, Hammerby, AIK. Um, that's three fairly tough games for Malmo, so they're going to have to play well. And they're also involved in the Europa League, of course. Which, well, that's um, right. So um, no no gimmies as such there, but uh, no. it's it's going to be very interesting. So we all right. We'll switch. We'll switch just, down. We move on as well. I just want to end it on. You asked me about the um, the attendance figures and that kind of thing in in the sort of Stockholm teams. The um, I have to put it on record there that Hammerby have had the best attendance. The average attendance of Hammerby has been a, the best of any team in our Svenskan for the last five seasons running. So when you ask me about support-wise, um, Hammerby fans won't forgive me if I don't mention that. So just thought I'd throw that in there. But um, as I say, Jürgen, a very well-supported team, one of the biggest teams in Sweden. There's no doubt about that. And at the moment, they're in pole position for the title. Well, yeah, we're going to switch things up now uh, to the bottom of the table where... It's suddenly a lot closer. I mean, AFC Eskilstuna look like they're, they're gone, really. Um, they're not wildly adrift, but they, uh, they're they going to need to win three or four games, aren't they? Which isn't going to happen. But um, the, the rest of it, we've seen Falkenberg picked up a, a win a couple of rounds ago. Sundsvall have uh, won back-to-back -back games, incredibly, uh, out of nowhere. And uh, there's no sign of Ossesons picking any points up uh, right now. They are in a huge crisis, aren't they? They're in 13th place. Two points clear of the uh, the drop zone, but um, there's massive problems at that club, both on and off the field, isn't there, John? And it doesn't look like ending anytime soon. Correct. Well, they have actually had a little bit of a <coughs> reprieve this week. Um, the there were some very disturbing rumours for their fans, I guess, um, when it was said that they might even go out of business if they couldn't find, I think it was, ten million Swedish crowns within within two or three weeks um there's been a bit of a reprieve in that sense the most recent statements from the club have suggested that they found some money um i think they're gonna 
reissue some shares or something like that to try and get around it. So that's at least the club exists, which is a first good step, as any Berry Berry FC fan would say in England. But um, yeah, the problems go on. They they're on a wretched run, to be honest. Uh, and you know we discussed them in the last podcast in, in quite a bit of depth. But things don't get better for them. They've you know they've lost both games, I think, since that last podcast. And they are now only two points above the drop. They've got a game in hand, but that's that's your garden. So it's really looking difficult for them. Six defeats on the bounce. They have not won a game since July. You know, they're looking in trouble. I mean, just on Gibson's file, uh, you mentioned their back-to-back wins out of nowhere. That They owe that to their new manager, to be fair, uh, Tony Gustafsson, who's come in and, and really kind of um, had an impact, to be fair. So they they are that's a worry, another worry for Ossessons because... They look dead and buried, give Sundsvall, and now they're just starting to pick up some points. Now they're only two points behind them um, in that relegation playoff. You know, so if you really look at it, Falkenberg are winning games, um, give Sundsvall are winning games. Even AFC Eskilstuna uh, have picked up a point here and there. I mean, only well, one point, but anyway, <laughs> you know, 15, 15 points is still a bit of uncomfortable distance. You know, um, there's only six points from Osterson, so. What I'm trying to say is, although they might not catch them, they're not that far away from them. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, they're not actually miles and miles adrift, are they? So, right. but I mean, I'm mean, just looking at the fixtures that Ossesons have got left. They've got Yogan at home, Hecken away, Sirius at home, Hammerby at home, and EFK uh, Yotaborg away. I mean, honestly, I just see only one match where they can realistically get any points out of, and that's the Sirius at home game. So, they're in huge trouble, aren't they? I mean, do you think they? Could it be third bottom would be a good spot for them, and they can go into the playoffs um, against the third team in the Super Eton. But um, do you honestly see them picking up many more points? It's tough, Steve. It's very, very tough. I mean, we talked about them earlier in the season and their expected goals, and, and it was a worry even from day one when they were picking up points. Um, but you know, they've just tailed off since uh, since July. Two two points since the twenty first of July. You know, in in how many? I think ten games. So, two points out of thirty is 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 wretched. So, um, you know they are really looking in big trouble. And I think, you know, we talked there about Jurgen Malmo. It was, it certainly was striking to me anyway. Watching that game, um, the midfield battle was Curtis Edwards against Fouad Bachiru. Uh, now these two were both on the pitch, I believe, when they played Arsenal, Ostersons, uh, and that was only a short sort of, you know, that wasn't even more than two years ago. So. Things have really, really gone downhill fast there. You know, if you look at it, that those sort of players are now at top clubs in Sweden. So it's a real, a real shame the way they've they've fallen. And, and some of the new players that have come in, just you know, I think sometimes when you're in a, in a club where the, there's a low momentum, it's difficult to adapt to a new a new environment, isn't it? So you can't really blame the players necessarily, but they just haven't been able to pull out the results that the players like Salman Godos, like Bachiru, like Curtis Edwards were used to. Um, and Edwards has kind of left and, and in the summer and gone, and there's not many of those players left there now. But I think Falkenberg are another team that we should we should briefly just touch on because we don't talk about them much. But they're only two points out of it now, and and, and they, you know, they're not looking too bad. And they beat Ostersons obviously most in their most recent um, one of the most recent home games. And their expected goals, as we said for quite a while, you know, they're, they're comfortably sort of low in mid table when it comes to expected goals. You know, they're they're doing fine, but they just Obviously, they don't score them all, but the you know the, the the statistics suggest that they are actually uh, not too bad. Thirteenth on the table when it comes to expected goals. Well, they 
they've got winnable games. Uh, they've got Elsborg away next, uh, AIK at home, but then they've got Kalmar. And the last match of the season with Falkenberg is uh, AFC Eskilstuna at home. So they've got potential uh, points there. I mean, do you worry about any other teams that could get sucked into it still? I mean, Kalmar, Sirius, Helsingborg, are they safe now for you? Or are they potentially, could they slide? Just say Falkenberg and Sundsvall keep picking up points. Even if Ostersunds get nothing, there's still another relegation spot there that's up for grabs. Well, no, I, I think um, Sirius are on red, red alert. Okay, serious. And if we look at it, I mean, in pre-season, I, I, on the podcast, I thought they'd go down. Uh, I think I had them in second. I think I had them second bottom or in the, in the relegation playoff. Uh, I, t- I was down on them quite heavily, and they they won their first two games, and obviously made me look like a bit of a mug at the beginning of the season. But don't rule them out, in my opinion, Steve. They they've lost their last three in a row uh, at EF Core, Hammerby, and Gif Sundsvall, which is a, a big loss away to Gif. And if you look at their upcoming games, their last four games are Helsingborg at home. Ostersund's away, AFC Eskil Studer away, Kalmar at home. So that is literally, their season is, it's all in the hands of the lower teams. It's so. good and bad, isn't it? Because if you win the game, you, you've obviously got fixtures against poorer teams, but if you fuck them up, <laughs> you are in massive trouble, aren't you? you? What you want to be playing now is mid, you want to be playing Elfsborg and Uruba every week, don't you? Because they're going to be, you know, nothing at stake. They're going to finish eighth or ninth. So... You know, there's always a lot of theory, isn't there, with fixtures and who you want, who you don't want now. But um, it's, it's going right. to be—it's looking really close down there now. Well, I thought they'd go down, serious, and I, I've got to say I'm going to stick with that prediction. To be honest, I, I think that they are still in, not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. With three defeats in a row, as, as I've mentioned, Giftsonsfell have got two wins on the bounce now. Falkenberg have got at least one win in the last sort of six. Um, you know, serious—they've got four points in the last six games, but they haven't really, of late, been any good. So the only thing that worries me with Falkenberg is their goal difference, which is minus 31. That is a huge uh, goal difference to make up, you know. So if it comes down to points, that's worth an extra point, really, isn't it? If it comes down to that. It, it, it feels like every year, the bottom three or four in this league, their goal difference is like a, <laughs> a cricket score, you know? It's just well, if terrible. You at, if you look at the difference between Malmo and AFC, I mean, plus 34 goal difference <laughs> against minus 32. You know, that really tells you that this is a league of sort of two two divisions in a way, isn't it? Oh, goodness me. Yeah, I mean, uh, AFC Asteloskin conceded 54 goals in 26 games. That's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Um, it's, it's incredible. Just before we, we finish with Arsvensk, I mean, Ian Birchnell, he's already got a relegation on his resume. Um, do you think his experience in that relegation battle with Viking a couple of years ago is a positive or a negative? Uh, for me, it can only be a positive. Um, I think experience lends you some some uh, some learning and some wisdom. I don't see how that can really be considered too much of a negative. I mean, obviously, it can maybe a sense of the demon starts whirling again, isn't it? And you know, you, you find yourself in that situation sometimes, and maybe you can't get out of it. I mean, they have the worst form in the table by by, by miles. Um, only AFC Eskilstuna are even close when it comes to you know poor form. You know six straight defeats in a row. AFC Eskilstuna have one point from their last six at least. So they are plummeting like a stale plum, uh, to be honest. And you do worry for them, but I think I think they have a win in them somewhere. But even would one win be enough? I'm not I'm not sure. You know, I think. Well, if it's against Serious, for example, it depends who it's against, doesn't it? I think you need about 25 points to stay up in this league now. 
Um, can they get four points from their last sort of five games? They could beat Jurgen tomorrow and everyone will forget about it. But, you know, it's diff- It's looking difficult. So really. who are your predicted? What is your prediction for 16th, 15th and 14th? I'm going to go with AFC Eskilstuna, AFC Eskilstuna bottom. I think... Oh, I'm going to... I'm going to... I think Ostersons will be second bottom. And I think Sirius will be the relegation playoffs. Well, you put your money where your mouth is there, fair enough. So, um, well, as Fenskin, that's the, the uh, that, that section over and done with. So, uh, join us after the break and we will be talking about Norwegian matters. So, uh, see you again very soon. Welcome back to the Nordic Football Podcast, and we're moving now on to Norway's Elita Serien. We've had a good chat about Sweden, now it's time for Norway, Steve. You are the man for that country and that region. And I'm going to start off with, well, I mean, we talked about Jurgen as our kind of team in focus this week. And I think, with no disrespect to Marla, who are top of the table, I think it would be fair to say that the story of this season so far has to be considered to be the title challengers, Buda Glimt, who are five points behind with uh, roughly, what, seven games to go. Um, an unbelievable achievement, considering many people had them tipped to be relegated. I think even you might have had them tipped to be relegated, Steve, if I remember correctly, or, or maybe not. But um, you didn't have them this high up the table, and, and nobody did. Now, let's take a look at them, Steve. I mean, firstly, the win against, you know, this weekend against Tromsø. You watched that game, and what did you have to say about it? And what do you have to say about them in general this season? Yeah, well, let's start with the game today, the Derby of the North. Um, and um, actually, it's a, a, a history of, in this fixture. The away team actually does quite well in recent years. Um, expect be unexpected, but uh, it really went by the, with the form book today. Uh, Budigland absolutely battered from Sephora 4-0. And it honestly could have been seven or eight and it wouldn't have flattered them. Um, they were so much better. Um, it was a combination of Budaglim playing very, very well. Tromsø really, really poorly. So, But it's, it sums up Glimp this year. They've been absolutely brilliant. Um, and this started in pre-season where they were catching the eye with some excellent results, performances, things like that. And a lot of people were dissing them, um, saying that... Uh, you know, compared to, for example, some of the other clubs, their pre-season schedule is quite light. They can kind of focus on the matches quite a lot. And no one really, certainly, or certainly no one expected this. Quite a lot of people predicted them to be relegated. Uh, I was not one of those people, I may add. Uh, I have not had to eat humble pie, humble pie unlike certain people. Um, <laughs> that um, I have seen have to do that. Um, so... However, I certainly I, I wouldn't have had them in the top half of the table. I think I predicted them at eleventh or something like that. But um, yeah, they've done remarkably well. Central to the, to their success has been a fantastic home record at uh, Aspen in Mira Stadion, where they've won nine out of twelve games, scored thirty four goals, and only conceded ten. So um, honestly, at times they look absolutely unbeatable at home. Like, seriously. 
you, you you wouldn't even know how they've dropped a point with some of the performances that they've produced here. It's a tough place to go, but um, a magnificent achievement so far from Budaglint, and um, you know, I really do hope they can get themselves a medal out of this season. Do you put their success down to coaching or squad ability or the paucity of other teams in the league, maybe, or, or something else? Because if I look at their team, Steve, and you know, the statistics around them, something I find incredible, to be honest, they have the youngest average age of any team in the league. Uh, now, that is really, really rare that you get a team so young being able to, you know, exceed expectations so well to become, you know, from, like you say, a relegation-tipped team um, to one that's challenging for the title. I mean, I find that remarkable. What, what do you put the success down to? Because, you know, the, the faith in youth there is really paying off, isn't it? Well, I think there's two really big factors to consider here. And one is coaching, like you say. The manager, Jethil Knudsen, uh, uh, has done really well. And I think the whole coaching um, team up there in Budaglint including our good friend Tom Dent, is uh, is very well um, organised. They've got some great ability there. And they've got a nice bunch of youngsters that have come through. Um, I mean, we a lot said about, again, example, Man United, the class of 92. I mean, I'm not saying this is the class of 2019 or whatever, but um, it, it does happen to be that certain players like Harkonnevian, Frederick Björkan have come through the system at the same time and they've peaked at the same time together. So obviously there's a good system coming through there. They've relied on uh, promoting from within quite a lot. I wouldn't say that it's to do with uh, signings and transfers. They've hardly really signed a player all year of significance. That's um, probably the best signing has been right back, uh, Erlen de Reitan. Um, but really it's not to do with transfers and that. Really easy is that you look at, um, development of players from within and also obviously good coaching and tactics uh, you know I said they I mentioned they had a really good pre-season schedule that's probably helped them going into the year and they've built on momentum from there they've, they've, when you win games it breeds confidence doesn't it I mean just look at Le when Leicester City won the Premier League um, it was a case of when they started to win games their, their aspirations got higher and I think glimped in the second half of the season have been looking at matches. Yeah, we've got to win them. It, it, whereas in the past, they'd be like, yeah, we'll take a draw here. But now that the stakes have... They have dropped points recently. I, I will add that. But their performances haven't necessarily dipped either. Um, but on paper, I look at the squad. And yes, there is quality. You know, Amor Leuni, who's now been sold. He's already left the club. Harkon Evian... Um, Where did he go? He's moved to the Egyptian League. Um what? I don't know exactly what the team was called, but he went straight away um, two games ago and he's out of there. So that's a massive blow for them. Hulk and Evian is moving to AZ Alkmaar at the end of the season. But, you know, Leuni and Evian, top quality players. And um, so there is, you know, class in there. But on paper, you would still look at this team and think, oh, it should be somewhere around mid-table, really. So it's remarkable how much they're overachieved. Fascinating stuff. And that move's confirmed, is it, for Hakon Evian? Yeah, he's, I think it's three million euros. So a good move for the player, definitely, to go to the Dutch league. He's going to get probably regular starts there. And you know what? I, I could see him going quite a long way. Um, you know, look at the last player that moved to the Dutch league, uh, Shidia Juka, to hear him, Veen. He's already um, starting tearing up the ground there 
um, had a great start to his career. So I think it would be a good move for Evie. And he's, uh, bear in mind, this is a player that um, they turned down Manchester City, of course. Um, so that is how highly he's regarded. Yeah, fan fantastic stuff there. I didn't, I didn't realise that, in fact. Um, so tell me about the, uh, you know, because if you look at the metrics of Buda, you know, they are the team in focus for this week. Uh, if we look at their metrics there they're all really really good i mean they they have the best one-on-one -on -one, uh dribbling in the league by miles um rosenberg second um if we're looking at the the wise cut data they're fifth in the league in terms of shots but they've they've uh you know their goal scoring the joint top of the table in terms of goal scoring just below Mulder in terms of expected goals but 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 uh level on goals um what do you put this you know the best ball position in the league i mean I've seen them play a few times and they've been really, really exciting. Uh, wh where can they go with this? And, and, you know, you mentioned the word Leicester City there. Are they a Leicester City or, um, you know, Mulder five points clear. So it, there's still enough time for a, maybe a change with seven games left. W what, what's your outlook for Buda? Where can this team actually go? I mean, Europe would be fantastic. When they, they've never won the title in their history. Um, yeah, they are very much Leicester City-ish um, in that regard. But the difference is um, they're up against a high-class team in Mulder who have not dropped many points, and I just don't see them closing it down. If Mulder showed signs of cocking up a few points, then they'd still have every chance. But, um, yeah, going forward, I suppose it's now about the long-term ambitions of the club, where they can go from here. I mean, just say they do finish in the top three, get themselves a medal, then obviously in Europe for next year, they're selling players. They've already lost La Uni, who was a key man. They've got rid of uh, Evian at the end of the season. They're, they're going to get decent money for him. It's all about how they reinvest in the squad. They've got a really good manager um, who I guess he might be poached by someone because, you know, that sort of thing isn't going to go unnoticed, is it? They've got great energy about them. Um, I think they're really well coached and great conditioning of the players as well. They've suffered relatively few injuries. Only really Breda Moo at the back. Has, has been out for a long period of time. I mean, apart from Patrick Berg, who, who was injured in a match earlier in the year, they're obviously well-conditioned. Um, they haven't got that much squad depth, which is, uh, you'd expect that at Buda Clinton. I think ultimately that will be the difference between winning the title and not. But um, there's no reason why if they invest well in, in, in the winter, um, keep their manager, keep churning out some of these youngsters, why they can't certainly establish establish themselves as a, a strong elitarian side every year, um, and, and don't get sucked into to what they've been in the past, which is sort of mid to lower side who've been relegated sometimes. So it's about building up a, a dynasty, I suppose, isn't it? They're not going to be able to keep players uh, for very long that are very good, but now it's about now it is about recruitment for them. I think coming up in the future. And what do you think about the role of their manager in terms of the development of the players, as you've mentioned there? You know, how well has he done? And will he be maybe someone looked at by, you know, the likes of Rosenborg, who, who are well off it, and maybe Brand, you know, those kind of teams. Does he have any kind of potential to move on? I mean, Hakon Evian at 19 has moved on. What's Is this a team that might get broken up? Could this be their one season? Or, what? you know, let's talk about the manager first. Yeah, the manager, Kjetil uh, Knudsen, um, he, he keeps it simple. I think that's one of the big, positives they've played 4-3-3 every single week john nothing changes they're not looking to adapt their style depending on who they're going to play this year and um 
I mean, some might consider that a negative. Some would consider uh, consider it a positive. They're basically saying we're going to do our thing. We're not going to worry about you. You've got to beat us. And um, it's quite an open style of football. And they have been exposed sometimes, like when they lost six 0 against uh, Valerenga. But um, yeah, I, I like his style. He plays entertaining football, proactive football. They're not looking to be negative. So it's for some of the bigger clubs, they could do far worse than someone like uh, Knutsen. Um, I think. Uh, and what's for whether the team will get broken up? Well, we know Leuni's Le gone, Evian's on his way out. I, I don't really know. I mean, with Norwegian sides, any team can get broken up, even the big ones. Um, but hopefully it won't. Hopefully they can keep the core of their players and, and then just add, you know, some uh, bits of quality to try and replace guys like Evian coming into next year. It's been really refreshing how... Uh, how they've shocked everyone like this and um you know fair play to them uh, they dropped they have been dropped points recently but we've got to remember this team on paper like i said is only really good enough for mid-table yeah and you know if you look at their <clears throat> their recent history you know they've they've been in the lower divisions as well so this is really a fantastic um fairy tale story to be honest uh, and and well done to them and obviously well done to our man Tom Dent who's been on, on the show before it's a fantastic as we say fairy tale adventure and um you know let's hope that they can keep you know I think at Evian just to just to talk about that transfer by the way it's the biggest sale in Buddha's history at two, I think 25 uh, million uh, Norwegian crowns um surpassing the previous record sale so that's maybe good for their future as well it can maybe secure some funds and and help them maybe rebuild no matter what happens this season and and you know who knows they might well have european football to deal with uh next season steve ready to move on if you are i think i would like to ask you about morgan who are top of the table uh we can't ignore them now uh, you tipped them to win the title last season uh, sorry in pre-season uh on the pod and you you've got it bang on so far they're five points clear with rosenborg 12 points off them nowhere near to be seen looks like they're tight their reign is ending um I want to ask you, in fact, I'm going to reverse the order in which we discussed Molde because I want to ask you about Oleg and Solskjaer. Um, I think it's time we had a little bit of an update because we had a podcast when he left for Manchester United. Um, obviously, I think that was last season, somewhere around December, and which you can still listen to, by the way. Subscribe to us on iTunes if you can and leave us a rating but uh, or follow us at Nordic Footpod for more episodes. But uh, Steve... Molder are top without Solskjaer. So, um, given the situation at Manchester United since he's left, um, I mean, since he's joined, sorry, he's not, you know, they, he had an incredible start. But since he signed a three year contract, I think Manchester United have won roughly six games out of 18, if I remember rightly, 19 maybe. Um, Molder are top regardless, Steve. So, what does that say about A, Molder and B, Solskjaer? Well, I did say in the podcast we did uh, talking about Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer roughly, um, what, 10 months ago now, that it wasn't the worst thing that he was to leave Molder because I felt he was a little bit stale there in his second spell. Um, look, if he'd been in charge this year, they probably would still be where they are, to be honest. Um, but, you know, caretaker manager Erling Moo has pretty much stayed in that role all year. And, um, you know what, he, I've seen him come to some, some criticism around mid-season, early mid-season. Uh, when they drop points but you know i mentioned in the last podcast how i think his squad rotation system is actually um is going to be a real asset for them going forward because like for example today um they beat lillestrom 2-1 last last kick of the game they beat the west a pretty big win for them 
But, you know, they had suspensions. Ui was suspended. Magnus Wolf Eichram was suspended. And, um, you know, they had to bring guys in who, you know, had they not been playing minutes in, in, in the Europa League or in the league, then they might be nervous that they can't come in and, and do a job. But every, a lot, this squad has been really well rotated in terms of freshness and also to keep competitive duties flowing. And uh, they've got that five-point gap on Budaglund, eight points to odd. I think that's enough now. To be honest, I think they've got two or three tough games to come, so they needed that victory today. Um, but as long as they just keep ahead, like they've got Bran away coming up this weekend. That looks like a fixture they could probably drop points in, to be honest with you. Um, got Rosenborg away as well, so they, they needed that victory. But they've got a really big squad, and the depth in that squad has really served them well this year. They've got money in the bank from Erling Brat Haaland's deal. And I would imagine they've hopefully got a good percentage sale on when he moves from Salzburg to somewhere, because I could imagine that being a huge move in the future, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, you know, 10 or 20% of that is going to put this club well set financially going forward. We'll talk about him in a minute, because I do definitely want to touch on him before we finish this show. Uh, a fantastic Champions League debut for him. But um, back to Salzburg, I just wanted to ask you, um, before we move on to Mulder, what What's your personal opinion? I mean, you said that you thought he'd gone a bit stale there. Do, do you see any similarities in what happened in his time at Mulder with maybe what's happening with now with Manchester United? I mean, he's gone for youth at Manchester United. He's, um, he's had trouble maybe implementing a kind of attacking style. That Their team is averaging sort of one goal a game over the, over the last sort of seven, eight games, going back to last season. I'm not really... They're struggling to score goals. Defensively, some slight improvements, but, you know, he'll conceding in games against West Ham and things like that. Do, do you see any kind of similarities in, in the project that he's trying to lead at, at United? Um, they've come out and sort of supported him quite heavily, uh, saying he won't be leaving no matter what happens. Um, do you see any similarities in what happened at Mulder or do you think he's, is there any kind of differences that you've seen in the Mulder soldier versus the United soldier? I said in that podcast last year, I'm not actually sure he's that good a manager. I'm not saying he's a bad manager. I just see him somewhere sort of average, really. I don't think he's particularly great. I don't think he's great at anything apart from, you know, sort of dealing with younger players and, and, and that sort of thing. Tactically, I think there's a lot of question marks with Solskjaer. Um, the only time he ever really impressed me was his first stint at Mulder. I honestly think, and he will laugh at this, but I think Cardiff City kind of broke him a bit, you know? He was exposed there badly, wasn't he? And uh, he just never looked the same manager when he came back. But you mentioned that. you mentioned tactically, Steve, like, let's, Let's delve into this because obviously there's a lot of surface discussions, but you you said you're not convinced with him tactically. Can you elaborate a little bit? Uh, well, I would say I've always think with Solskjaer, if his first plan is not working and it's not going very well, he's always struggled with in in-game decisions to try and improve things or change things, if especially if they're chasing a game of football. Um, that would that is tactically where I would say he's not that strong. But that, I mean that's quite a subjective personal opinion, really. Um, you know, and it, it's very hard to compare Manchester United to Mulder. Really, it's almost unfair to actually, isn't it? Because of the type of players that you've got available at you. But I felt um, in his in his second spell at Mulder, I just felt he got a bit stale. Um, not so, it just looked like he wasn't enjoying it as much, uh, you know what I mean? And then they dropped a lot of silly points um, in, in that particular spell. But, um, you know, whether or not, I mean, some people will be asking the question, how long until he's um, 
back in the molder job because um you know there seems to be a lot of speculation that he's not going to last the pace at man united but uh I think the, ta- the tactical point you make there is, is very interesting because uh, it, that does ring home with what I've seen from United this season in terms of his his in-game changes uh, or lack of changes at times. Uh, I think the example of, you know, not to talk too much about England, but Marcus Rashford last week um, when he played him for the full 90 in the Europa League and then the full 90 the following Sunday when he was clearly, he was blowing after 20 minutes, I think. Uh, and then 60th minute, he, he did his uh, groin or hamstring, was it? I think and he look, already looked tired after 10 minutes, let alone the 60, and went off and was out for two or three weeks. So I really do think you're onto something there, to be fair, Steve. So um, that, that is an interesting point. I mean, I don't know if you want to wrap it up there with any other concluding comments. We'll move on otherwise. Mm. But. Yeah, I mean, just going back to a very recent game, the one at West Ham United. United were struggling, weren't they, in the first half there? concede the goal and you think things are going to change but nothing did change I, I don't know whether it's he's incapable of reading game situations or I say when plan A goes out the window it was plan B and C I think the only real time he impressed me in that way at United was against PSG in Champions League although you could say he got a bit lucky there as well um, it felt like in the first sort of month or two at United that was the only time I've seen him sort of be a bit innov- innovative and um, different um, but uh, yeah, this is what I've seen for sure. I think you know they've looked, they, they've not, they've looked a little bit out of ideas to be honest, uh, attacking wise. And you know, Mourinho was criticised for the attacking construction, but I think they look a bit, a little bit more out of ideas in my opinion. They look as if, as if they're winging it at times. Um, and the in-game substitutions, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, is that a squad thing because of the lack of maybe quality in the squad, or is that is that a managerial thing? We don't know, but. Um, one to watch anyway, but yeah, Mulder, regardless, are top uh, and doing pretty well, Steve. So it looks like they could well win the title. Let's move on. Um, we're going to wrap this up, pod up quite soon, I think, but we just want to talk about Europe um, briefly because there's a couple of teams involved in Europe, aren't there? Yeah, Rosenborg uh, lost their first fixture in the Europa League. It was 1 0 away, LASK Linz. Um, yeah, Austrian outfit and if you want to find out more about them and you want to listen to uh, the podcast uh, that I made a brief appearance on uh, the uh, other Bundesliga podcast is a good source of Austrian information um, and then Malmo lost as well didn't they 1-0 against Dinamo Kiev but perhaps more importantly is the game to look forward to um, this Thursday uh, we were <laughs> funny enough we were on about the Royal League weren't we uh, a few podcasts ago and now we're going to have that chance um, Malmo against FC Copenhagen um, in the Europa League. That's a really big fixture, a local derby of sorts. It is indeed. And yeah, I mean, let me just read anyone who's not familiar with this statistic. Distance from Malmo to their most closest league game in Sweden, 64.8 kilometres. Distance from Malmo to their Europa League opponents, FC Copenhagen, 41 kilometers so it's actually a closer game than a, a european game that's closer than a, home, a domestic game which is i don't know how many times you see that coming but yeah um they're 64 kilometers away from helsingborg which is the closest um, neighbor in, in in sweden i mean that will be a big game no, no doubts about that whatsoever and could that maybe fo- affect the title race in any way i think it will um there's no doubt it will be hotly contested from the fans point of view because there is a little, a little bit of a niggly rivalry between those those two um, regions anyway, you know, there's a bit of a 
bit of a comparison every now and then. And you mentioned some cultural factors there, Steve. Um, I certainly think there's a, a bit of a cultural rivalry in that sense between Sweden and Den Denmark in that sense. Um, and I think there's a bridge that separates them, which is, you know, it's a very, very easy to get between the two. So definitely going to be an interesting game, I think, those two um, rounds. But yeah, I think, um, you know, we'll talk about the relegation battle in the next podcast on on Norway. There's still seven games left. Don't forget, we're not as close to the end of the season as we are in Sweden. Um, I'll be certainly looking forward to Ostersund's against Djurgården coming up. And um, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Nordic Footpod, And you can like us as well on the Nordic Football Podcast on Facebook. Uh you can get us on Patreon as well, Nordic Football Podcast, if you'd like to support us financially with some uh, a beer a month or something like that. But uh, yeah, we've uh, really enjoyed the show. We've run over a little bit, but I hope we've offered you some value on uh, Garden and Budo Glimp, two of the best teams in both leagues this season, some insight. And we'll be back for another show pretty soon. So keep it tuned to the Nordic Football Podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe uh, on iTunes and all your usual places. Um and from me, Jonathan Faduba, and Steve Wiss, it's been great to discuss some Nordic po football podcasts again, Steve, and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, a pleasure as always, uh, Jonathan. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you again very soon. Goodbye.